Well, welcome to Hemp Errands. Mark, we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me today. You are part of such a, a conglomerate of global leaders, and I guess conglomerate is certainly the wrong word. It's a small group of incredible, dedicated pioneers who for decades uh, from Europe and particularly from Holland have been moving forward to deliver on the promise of the versatile, valuable hemp crop uh, in every direction. You are the CEO of Hemp Flax Companies, as well as the former uh, president and, of course, still director at the European Industrial Hemp Association, which is really taking the lead globally uh, for hemp law reform, particularly at the United Nations and WHO level and in gathering together an international coalition through uh, an organization that will be formed, which we hope will be the International Hemp Federation. Um, but let's talk for a moment about hemp flax. Hemp flax is the realization of my dream and my vision of 30 years ago when I first learned about hemp and all that it can do. And, and you and your team at hemp flax um, also founded by a personal hero of mine, Ben Dronkers, have really started to deliver on that promise in so many ways. You are a hemp fiber at heart company, of course, because you're utilizing as many parts of the plants uh, as you can uh, for so many purposes. You're also now starting and have started to get into extract. But let's talk, if we can, about um, start with some of the offerings of hemp flax, particularly let's first start with equipment, which is such a need here in the United States, and then move down to the products that you're making. Now, you're totally right. Um, uh, it's very difficult to have a hemp operation or hemp supply chain if you do not have the right tools and equipment in place. And I think that what we have seen in the last years in the U.S. that everybody starts growing hemp full of enthusiasm, full of love and dedication. But by the time it's harvest, they find out it's a very difficult crop to deal with and you need specialized equipment. But by the time it's harvest time, you're too late. Um, I always tell the example that I get a phone call in October, mid of October, and hey, uh, man, can you send me in a double cut combine harvester? And so when do you need it? They say, yeah, next week. So well, listen, the machine weighs 25 tons. Uh, I, I cannot send it by you with DHL overnight express. So uh, that, that will be very difficult. So you're completely right. You need equipment, but uh, you have to think about it before you start sewing because there's a lead time on it, supply time on it. And actually speaking about this equipment, it's not something we found out overnight. You know, we are having 26 years history, as you said before, we found it in 1994. And believe me, the first year was pioneering every day uh, machines burned down got stuck blocked we modified them tried again they broke down again went back to the workshop and we in the, in the past it took us more time to harvest 100 hectares than it takes us today to harvest 2300 hectares so that's called progression and uh yeah and we're offering these machines as well for the market actually we've sold quite a few units already in the us they're uh, they're running down there and doing very well and the next step you need in the U.S. is a decortication plant because once you have harvested the crop, you're still making costs. You don't have revenue. You know, you have to process the crop to make revenue. And you need, again, you need specialized equipment for doing that. And what do you think about cooperatives really quick before we move on? When we talk about uh, the cost of, of equipment and 
and the fact that particularly here in the United States, you know, we have so many farmers coming online, but we lack the infrastructure, particularly, of course, to harvest uh, the fiber. Um, what do you think, what is the idea of cooperatives and are there any forming that you're aware of in the European Union? Oh yes, uh, the most uh, hemp uh, growing uh, takes place in France, as you know, and those French uh, hemp processes, there are almost except one, they're all cooperatives. They are. Uh, so, and, and the French farming sectors anyway organized very cooperative, more than other uh, parts in, in, in Europe. So it's also a cultural thing. But a cooperative could be work very nicely because then you can share those high investments because uh, a, a combine harvester is six, seven hundred thousand dollars, you know. Uh, so you need to do quite a few hectares. And if you only have a few acres, uh, sorry, I was speaking your language. If you have a few acres, uh, then it doesn't make sense. So uh, what we do as Hemflex, we own the harvest equipment and we go to the farmers and we do the farming job for them. One because one thing is because of uh, that the the farmers are, don't need to do this high investment in this uh, equipment, and we can utilize equipments over multiple farmers, so we can keep the cost price as low as possible. But most importantly, we are in control of the quality, because Joyce, I always say, quality starts in the field and not in the factory. So if you do it wrong in the field, you wrong, harvest it wrongly, you cut it too long, or you don't cut it. You don't dry it enough. You uh, are not um, do the redding good enough. It doesn't matter how many millions you spend on a decartication facility. Rubbish in is rubbish out. So the reason we do the harvest is one efficiency, second quality. Absolutely, and and that in itself is it still lends itself to a cooperative model because you are and and do you also supply the genetics to the farmers that you are also helping with the harvesting and and controlling the quality? Yes, yes, we do, and the reason for that is that we do the harvest ourselves because as you probably know, all the varieties have different moments of flowering. And uh, you can only start harvesting, like in the Netherlands, we don't wait for the seeds because we're getting too late in the season, we harvest at flowering stage. So, uh, but if we have one variety, uh, the whole area is ready the same moment. You don't have enough capacity to do it. So we work with different varieties so we can halve the different moments. But it means that we don't want, we have an, a growing area of around 50 kilometers around our factory in Outer Pekela. Uh, if one farmer in the outskirts of a growing area is growing an early variety and his neighbor is growing a late variety, we have to drive back with the whole big machine to them in a later moment of stage. So uh, we decide on the variety the farmer is growing. So we can decide which variety is good for fiber quality, for seeds, for CBD. And we can plan them in such a way so we can plan our harvest uh, very efficiently. So it looks like 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 always romantic uh, way harvesting hemp and stuff but if you come at our place with 2200 hectares and run about 6000 acres uh, there's nothing romantic about it. It's 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 a war zone. It is exhausting work, and I really want to experience it. I'm so excited to experience it. As exhausting and and filthy as it is, I I I want to be like Andrea Herman and be covered in you know resin. <laughs> by the yeah, time yeah, I'm no. uh, With with the with the with the show here. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is timing genetics for quality and and for all of the specifications that you are expecting out of that plant for that end use 
um, efficiency and cooperation. All of those things go into it. And uh, there's, there's, it seems pretty basic, but I imagine it took several years to learn uh, all of that. And then, of course, to watch it develop, uh, working in tandem and, uh, and to perfect these systems. But meanwhile, it sounds like you've got it down. Yeah, the, after 26 years, and, and still, believe me, uh, sometimes this crop is still surprising us. And every year we say, okay, we do this year a little bit different. So the steps we do differently year over year are not so big anymore as in the past. But you're still learning by time, by time, by time. And believe me, uh, in the past, uh, we made we have made every mistake possible. And, and, and some mistakes we have made twice, to be sure. So thank you for making every mistake possible, including twice, because man, are you leading the way and just sharing so much wisdom um, and and equipment, the actual ability for us to flourish in other countries. And of course, in your own region, thanks to the uh, the infrastructure that Hempflax is creating. And of course, the knowledge and wisdom that you share on the regular. Um, let me ask you this. Let's go by how Hempflax first started, the first product that you started doing, and then as the lines uh, started to be added on. Can we go from there? No, I think we should go a little bit further back in time, because why did we start Hempflex? Or why did Ben Dronker start Hempflex? Because I was still going at, at high school at that time, and Ben founded Hempflex because he said he's a cannabis entrepreneur. He knows a lot about cannabis. Uh, um, he has the hemp museums. And as an owner of the hemp museums and his collection, he showed a lot of history use of hemp. So not only the recreational use or the medicinal use, but also a lot about historic use. So like the like the sails of the sailing ship and the uh, ropes and the textiles the sea uh, people were wearing. So uh, he, he actually, and, and, and like uh, support war, grow the hemp and uh, all those old-fashioned applications and everybody told him, oh yeah, it was nice in the past, but it will never come back. And Ben said, yes. And imagine he said it already in the late 80s, because late 80s, nobody talked about climate change. Nobody talked about the environment. Everybody was doing what they were doing and, and, and nobody thought about it. But Ben said, saw in that time already that we were treating our world in a wrong way. And he said, hemp could be the pathway for a better environment and a better climate. And imagine in later, at least everybody was laughing at him and said, okay, maybe you smoke too much dope, but it's not going to happen. And he founded Hempflex with the one single reason to prove to all those people that they were wrong. And I think if you look today that we are supplying fibers for the Mercedes SC and A type door panels for the BMWs 3 and 5 series, that we are even supplying fibers to the Bugatti Veyron and textiles, and we are supplying horse bedding and building materials and making building houses for more materials. You know, I think uh, after 26 years, indeed, we proved to all those people they were wrong, and hemp can be and actually is a sustainable crop that can lead us to a more sustainable world. I'm not saying hemp is saving the world. I wish it was true because I could do it. I think we need to do a whole lot more in our world and changes to, to, to save our world. But I truly believe hemp could be a solution. It is a pathway. It is absolutely a, a pathway to the solution, a part of the solution. And I just have to share authenticity with me is everything. It's gotten me so far in life. And to listen to you speak just now, and especially my feelings uh, for Ben Dronkers, which are decades long in the making, 
Um, I just need you to know that absolutely every hair was standing on end and I could actually feel electricity running up and down my body as you crescendoed into. And now today <laughs> we are supplying fiber to Mercedes. I mean, I just, you know, got to stick a pin in that brother. Wow. Yeah. Just amazing stuff. Now continue. Had to share. Sometimes, sometimes we have to step back and look what we realize because we are so busy and the next thing and the new thing and then a new machine, a new improvement that sometimes you forget what you're actually doing. And uh, it's good. It's good to see and good to, to continue working on that. And it's great. It's really great to work with Ben on this as, as a visionary uh, and, and really uh, putting the money where his mouth is and, uh, and trying to build this industry. What actually is our mission? We want to provide worldwide a sustainable hemp uh, product to the market and uh, that's what we're doing but indeed it wasn't like that in the first days in the first days we we had to find out how to grow it how to process it because you know after prohibition the crop disappeared so any development on on egg technology on processing technology stopped so we had to overhaul 50 years of technology development in, in a very short time and the first fiber we made was paper crate fiber. There was just decorticated fiber. There was still 20% shives in it. It was not refined. It was just, we, we broke the fiber a little bit. We shake it out a little bit and that was it. And we sent it to the paper industry and uh, they make it for um, specialty papers, for uh, like uh, contract documents, banknotes, uh, even cigarette paper. So uh, we, we often make the joke uh, at the end of the day, you will smoke it anyway. But but then in a secret paper, but um, it's uh, that was the first start, and then we developed the technology, and we were able to purify the fiber more, reaching up to ninety percent uh, purity, getting a more refined fiber, a cleaner fiber, which was suitable for insulation material, and actually. We sold a lot of fiber at that time to the insulation factory, which we ended up buying in June last year, this year. So that was one of the first customers we had for insulation. And um, and then we continued further and further, and then we get the fiber of 99% purity. And that fiber was suitable for the automotive industry because you need a very pure, clean fiber for the automotive industry because those little shive hurt wood particles, how you like to call them, if they are coming in the surface and you press mold it to a door panel, it's like popcorn, it pops up and it interrupts the, the smoothness of your surface. And uh, that's a problem for uh, automotive industry. So the higher the quality we get, the higher added value we get in the, in, the, in the supply chain. And our next dot on the horizon, and actually I'm just coming off a long conversation with Aya about hemp for textile fiber. You probably heard already, your previous speaker, uh, the textile industry, because Think about it, Joyce, if we can replace cotton with hemp, because the only natural thing about cotton is it comes from a plant. That's it. End of the day. Nothing else, because cotton is actually is one of the most polluting fibers in the world. If you look at fertilizer use, at pesticide use, at, at water use, it's a terrible fiber. And if we manage to rewind to cottonize the hemp fiber to a cottonized fiber that can be run on traditional cotton spinning systems it, it, it potentially could be massive 
And, uh, and then really we're going to make an impact on the world because then we don't need the pesticides anymore. We don't need all this fertilizer anymore. We don't, or we need less water. And I think folks don't realize that the cotton crop globally takes up around 50% of the world's annual use of pesticides. My understanding is that the bow weevil uh, is a pesky little bug, uh, among other problems uh, that plague that particular crop. And it yields an inferior fiber on top of it. And as you may know, uh, I'm pretty sure you have met Lawrence Servant of Hemp Traders. Have you ever met one another? You, you're certainly brothers from another mother, if you haven't. <laughs> Probably, yeah. but uh, only digitally. Not that I can remember real life. Got it. Okay. And he and he's former president um, of HIA and, and a close colleague. And uh, Hemp Traders has been around here for about 25 years with textiles. But finally, this year, just this year, now the, the fiber itself was not from America. Um, and I do believe it came in from China because he'd been forging those relationships 25 years ago. Those were the relationships that you could forge with textiles, um, but made a few American made textile blends here. So it's just wonderful uh, to see that starting to come around. He also discussed now the advantage when you say cottonize the fiber, the advantage of that, as you well stated, would be not having to retrofit or create new infrastructure and equipment uh, to manufacture textiles, because as, as you know, cotton is a short fiber. At the same time, one of the major benefits of hemp as a textile is that it is a long fiber. Can you educate uh, the audience and, at all around that? Oh, yes, I can. Um, there are different ways of processing fiber. Um, actually, the way my companies are doing uh, is we make short fiber anyway, because we work with a break and mill system. Um, hemp has a long fiber. If you grow it, you can grow to three, four meters tall. Uh, but then it's very difficult to handle it, to harvest it, to handle it, to process it. And uh, you can make long, long hemp fiber, but you need to scotch in the scotching lines. Actually, it's a funny story, just as a side story. The reason we are called hemp flex is because we started in the first year in a flex mill in a scutching line. And in the scutching line, we thought, because we don't have any clue how to start. So we said flex looks a little bit, it's a best crop fiber, hemp is a best crop fiber, so let's start it. And we run it for two years and uh, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. And then we really realized we need specialized equipment for hemp. So, but the, the way we're using now, we're making a short fiber, and that's not, not bad. And the problem is with the short fiber of a best fiber compared to a cotton fiber, a best fiber, um, let's say a cotton fiber is a fruit fiber, so it grows as a primary fiber. They're not glued together. Where a best fiber is glued together with the lignins and the pectines, and that's holding the whole plant together. And you have to remove it to the primary fiber. But you can't do that mechanically because then you're damaging the fiber too much. Mm. So in China, they have a long history of hemp textiles. And they can do it. They call it cottonization, degumming. But there are quite a lot of chemicals, NEC involved. And they boil it in, in, in a chemical solution to dissolve it. Perfectly textile quality. Nothing wrong with it. But the process itself. And we think about sustainability you can only call something sustainable if you look at the total process, the total life cycle analysis. And so that's why we are looking more into enzymatic, in steam explosion, all this non-chemical um, cotonization processes. And that's still in the very preliminary stage. But if you're managed to, to get that process under control and you have to scale it up, 
it, it's a massive opportunity you can, uh, you can tap in on. Incredible. And when you talk about degumming, I, I, as I often say, post-prohibition, I think it was around 1987 when the Chinese figured out how to separate the linen from the fiber bundles. Um, and as you say, yeah. though, through heavy uh, chemicals. So when we often say, you know, oh, I'm wearing a, a hemp garment and it must just be this wonderful thing. I always say keep that critical thinking hat on no matter what it is. People think if it has hemp in it, it's automatically biodegradable. Yeah. Uh, if it's a hemp garment, it must be, you know, some totally environmentally conscious, a hippie harvested, processed and sewed that garment. No, actually, it may have been processed using a lot of chemicals. And I love, of course, hemp flax is looking at as, as there are others around the world and you're probably um, communicating with them these more enzymatic and natural ways of, of that degumming or delineating uh, yeah. as it as it were. So, so fascinating. I'd love to, and, and let's talk more than, let's get into some construction materials. And I want to make sure that we touch on, brother, um, just in terms of timing here, uh, that we also discuss this, the talk of hemp composites, or as I sometimes say, biocomposite, versus the term hemp plastics, um, which is not necessarily um, so descriptive or accurate of what we're talking about. But let's talk about some construction materials and, and the other lines, because I always think herd, hempcrete, and animal bedding. They go hand in hand, but they're obviously very different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good. Construction materials is a great market. And actually, we believe so much in this market that we are able to take over an insulation factory in June uh, to produce uh, hemp wool insulation from the fiber. So uh, normally, uh, you see a lot of insulation produced from glass fiber or rock wool fiber. Uh, I don't think in the US you have rock wool, but glass wool you have. The pink stuff, the toxic pink stuff that gets into our laborer's skin is horrible. Yeah, it's itchy. Uh, it doesn't even work. It's very unhealthy. No, it, now what it even doesn't work, it, it, it keeps your house warm in the winter. That may be correct. But what glass wool is not doing, it's keeping not the heat out in summer because glass fiber does not have a heat absorption capacity like hemp fiber has. So with this climate change, we see more and more regions like in the Netherlands, you know, um, I, I did when I was young and I'm not that old. When I was young, I did love ice skating. My children never skated on natural ice yet because the climate changed so much. We don't have hot winters anymore. So you can do ice skating on, 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 on the open waters. So, uh, and with the summers getting warmer and warmer. So to insulate your house in the summer is also very important to keep your energy cost of the cooling your house about the air conditioning systems low. Um, what and the best part of of using hemp fiber insulation compared over mineral fiber or synthetic fiber is the co2 footprint so you know as hemp is growing we absorb quite a lot of co2 on each metric ton of hemp we harvest 1.5 metric ton of co2 is being absorbed by the crop and even if we add on all the transportation harvesting blah blah, blah because my combines are selling still not running on solar energy if at, at all the CO2 emissions on that, we still have a negative CO2 footprint. On each cubic meter of insulation material, we fixed 40 kilogram of CO2. Wow. Each cubic meter or glass wool can emit around about 100, 120 kilograms of CO2. So we have a difference of 160 kilograms of CO2 on, on the CO2 balance compared to, to a mineral. And even if you look at other, like polyurethane, 
it's a CO2 bomb. You need 1,800 kilograms of CO2 per cubic meter of polyurethane. It's massive. So you think you're insulating your house with polyurethane to save energy and to save the environment, but the house needs to save a lot of energy first to compensate its own CO2 uh, production. So that makes hemp very, uh, very good for the environment. But a lot of people don't buy stuff because they want to save the environment. A lot of people buy stuff because they want to, to, to feel themselves better. And that hemp also do because insulating your house with a natural fiber gives you a much healthier internal climate. I don't know if you're known about the sick building syndrome in the US, but here in Europe, we have something called sick building syndrome because the buildings are insulated so wrongly, so close that there's no air filtration anymore. There's, there's a lot of uh, fungi going around. So the sick building syndrome is a thing. Building with natural materials like hemp you know, it, 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 the walls are breathing. It absorbs the humidity from inside and transports to the outside because a natural fiber can do that. A glass fiber can't do that. And it's, 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 really, and it's really picking up. And uh, I'm so happy we built it. We, we were able to buy this insulation factory to make our supply chain even longer than we do already. So instead of selling fiber to the market, we're now selling really an end product like an insulation mat. Which is just so absolutely fantastic. And and you may not know this about me, that of the arguably 10 to 50, depending on how many flavors and colors uh, of thousand products of hemp that you can make hemp creep uh, is actually my favorite. So hemp insulation, but of course uh, the hemp and lime, and, and I have to admit it's something about the lime and the smell of the curing lime, brother, it's a thing. Uh, but I've done a lot of the training and workshops here for hemp technologies. And so, you know, hemp insulation is, is just incredibly close to my heart. And it's um, one of the many reasons that I love hemp flax. Now, I, when I visited hemp flax in June of 2018, um, I saw then this was obviously before you purchased the hemp wool insulation factory, but you had already started to add on lines for the non-woven mats yep. um, and yep. selling them as grow mats, et cetera. And of course, the herd uh, that you have, and that's the, for the listeners, the inner woody core of, of the hemp stock uh, bagged for animal bedding, which is just fantastic. I, I, by the way, visited a farm here in Washington last month, and they are using the herd for animal bedding. And then they put it on top of their compost pile, and the compost pile doesn't smell anymore. It is just amazing, yeah. and the, the animals love it. it. It sort of does natural clumping, but also the herd that you bag up for as the aggregate uh, for hempcrete, a construction infill, mold, rot, fire, pest resistant, offers the the most healthy indoor air quality, particularly if we can use lime uh, for the siding, et cetera. Um, it, just amazing that you are delivering these healthier uh, building materials that perform better, that are better for the environment, uh, and that are better for the human beings and animals that live inside the building. Yeah, it's, and it's a total use because, you know, you can sell the fiber and that's a lot of people forget. They focus very much on the fiber uh, sales and, and, and development. But if you start processing hemp and you do it correctly, on each kilogram of fiber you obtain, if you want it or not, you will get two kilograms of shives. So in volume, the shives is double compared to the, to the hemp. So if you don't find a good market for that, uh, you will end up with a huge pile of, of, of shives. And, and again, the more you make from the crop, the more revenue you make from the crop, the more operational, profitable your comp company will be. 
And, um, and, and the animal bedding is a big market for us, um, like horses, but we do a lot in retail. And but you know what's funny of how how terrible the current pandemic crisis is. Um, we we sell more bedding than we ever did before. It's amazing. We 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 hardly can can keep up with the pace of the demand, because what's happening? A lot of people are at home office, uh, working from home, guaranteed, and. Uh, now they smell the guinea pig on Wednesday instead of Saturday. So they start cleaning the cage of the animal on Wednesday or they do it a few times more than they do normally. And the product, because of the packing size we developed, we developed 1 kg, 3 kg, 10 kg, 14 kg. It's very well uh, easy to send over the, over the online shops. So online, there's a lot of business done with the bedding and people are buying it. And the smell is exactly one of the unique selling prospects because you don't smell the animal anymore. And that's why people are, are buying it uh, continuously. So uh, throughout the pandemic, we, we saw sell more, more shots than we have did before. Incredible. I love hearing that. Um, and, and I also want our listeners to know that shives, uh, same thing as herd. They're, they're, it's, Oh. No, no, it, this is wonderful, Mark. It's, this is actually yeah. great. Um, so that folks understand, we can call them shives or herd, but it's that inner woody core of the plant. And yes, we we want to use all of the plant uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, a farmer doesn't just want to use the chicken breast. And I'm sorry for the vegetarians and vegans out there. I could probably come up with a better example. But Catherine put the darn example in my head and I can't get it out because it's so demonstrative. If you're growing chickens, you don't take the bones out and throw all the rest away. If you are growing hemp, you don't suck the flowers out and throw all the rest away. Or you don't peel off the bast fiber, that outer bark, which is so valuable, and use that and throw the rest away. It is the world's most valuable biocellulose. Maybe there's another plant out there with more bi bi valuable biocellulose but we haven't discovered it yet. Uh, this, is, this is the plant. And even of course on the nano scale, and we won't get into that here because we're, we're coming um, to the end of our time, but on the nano scale, of course, the surface area and strength second only to carbon nanotubes and graphite whiskers. I mean, somebody stop me here. But before we do, let's talk about uh, the composites uh, projects that you folks are working on at Hemplax. Again, just in every direction leading the way. Yeah. Now, you know, already we do uh, non-wovens for the automotive industry that's being uh, uh, blended with a polypropylene fiber or it's being sprayed on later with, an, uh, with a polyurethane fiber and uh, a foam uh, to compress mold it. And of course, those products are not sustainable, are still synthetic. But we have a problem in the automotive industry uh, is that bioplastics are just not that available like we wanted because, for example, a PLA fiber is bioplastic and we can make a door panel from PLA uh, and with the combination with hemp perfectly. But standard PLA is, is, is getting soft, uh, melting at 70 degrees plus mm. Celsius. And sorry, you have to do the calculation of Fahrenheit for me. But uh, it's the, it's the uh, so in, in you park your sun, uh, you, sorry, if you park your car outside in the sun in the summer, the kids on the back seat can do remodeling on the door panel. And believe me, an average BMW driver doesn't like that. So then we need to implement a bioplastic with a higher temperature stability, but that's low availability and high price. And I can tell you, they don't like two things in automotive industry. That's high price and low availability. So I, I bring myself to sleep every night 
with the idea that I made this door panel 50% better than it was before. Because before it was glass fiber reinforced or polyester fiber reinforced, and now it's hemp fiber reinforced. So 50% of the door panel is hemp fiber. And we should stop thinking that we should try to replace everything with 100% hemp overnight. It's not going to work. You can change massively if you start blending in in traditional supply chain, just blend in. Like with cotton, we're not going to replace cotton overnight. We just don't have enough uh, supply chain capacity to do that. But if we can start blending in hemp in cotton streams, every metric ton of cotton we replace with hemp has environmental advantage. Quantifiable. And the same is with plastic. And, and, and quantifiable. And I, I often say, it's, it's one of the things that I, I say quite a bit, which is hemp is the great blender. It's the great synthesizer. Uh, simply start incorporating it and let's go from there. And of course, you know, for those of us who are absolutely you know, consumed by the plant and our purpose-driven life around it, we don't want a monoculture. We, 100% hemp world is a very boring world, and it doesn't sound healthy. It sounds very bad for the pest cycle. <laughs> no. no, that's not good. Not good. No, we get the crop diversity. But anyway, when you still need to eat and you can't only live from hemp only. Um, but uh, what, what you actually mentioned, uh, Doy, is the uh, bioplastics. Yes. Uh, hemp plastics. Yes. And I, I don't like the terminology because hemp is not a plastic. Hemp is a fiber. And of course, you could probably make a plastic out of it, some kind of a chemical process, make a cellulose, and from the cellulose, you make a polymer, and the polymer, you have a plastic, lovely. But what we do is we also pelletize the fiber, and the fiber can be compounded into polymers like polypropylene or PLA as a bioplastic or PHA, or we do a lot of it, recycled polypropylene. It comes back from the industry, it's been grinded, been recycled. And then you make it available for injection molding. So imagine about the effect we can reach here we are we can uh, obtain up to 50 percent fiber loading in the in the granulates so instead of 100 percent polypropylene you fill it now with 50 percent hemp and it's a filler but it's also a reinforcer so the part gets stronger so in the end you need less kilograms to come to the same stiffness or the same uh, material properties so we're saving plastic because you need less and we're replacing a part of the plastic by hemp. So I don't like the terminology hemp plastics. I still prefer hemp fiber reinforced composites. Hemp fiber reinforced composites. Oh, I am so taking that one, brother. I will give you credit for it. Um, hemp fiber reinforced composites. I love it. That's a very valuable lesson. And not only, of course, are you talking about using less, but you're talking about improving the product. Like that cannot go, uh, we have to stick a pin in that. The fact that, again, it, it, it makes it stronger. Uh, we're talking about a, a fiber uh, that, again, has very unique qualities to it. While it may look like canap or flax while it's growing, on a microscopic level, uh, this plant is extremely unique and it is very, very different from uh, its fiber cousins. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, of course, uh, it, it, it comes from the same family, but it, it, it's completely different. And that's also what we say, it should be treated differently in the law because hemp, industrial hemp is not marijuana. Um, I always made a comparison to make it easier for people to understand who do not understand. And it always amazes me how much people do not understand this and how, how often I have to explain it. I always say, God, look, you have beer and you have alcohol-free beer. Yeah? Yep. It, it, alcohol-free beer, it, 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 it's, it looks like beer, it smells like beer, 
it tastes like beer. We can have a discussion about that, but technically it's beer, but it doesn't make you drunk. No, here it is, industrial hemp. It looks like cannabis. If it flowers, it smells a little bit like cannabis. Not that strong, but it smells. Uh, it probably tastes like cannabis. I never tried, but probably it does. But it doesn't make you high. Even if you smoke a whole acre, it doesn't make you high. So why do we understand the difference between beer and alcohol-free beer, but not between hemp and industrial hemp? And I'm really looking forward to the UN vote, hopefully coming up in December, but who knows with the pandemic at the moment, um, that industrial hemp should be decriminalized as soon as possible, because the longer it takes, the longer we are limited in the possibilities of use of a crop. And we should not be limited, because we have a crop that can be generating 10,000 of products. So stop limiting me and start facilitating me. And reinvigorating the farming communities worldwide and helping with our tremendous challenges with climate change. It really is, as you say, and as all of us say, not the answer, not the solution, but it is absolutely a pathway and it must be liberated. And and that wonderful conference that we had, uh, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, uh, Vice President of Law and Science with of course, your colleagues, Lorenzo Romanese and Catherine Wilson, just before uh, this interview, brother, talking precisely about that December 5th meeting and the, and the fact that really the foundational underpinning of global prohibition is right there in the shackles of the single convention of narcotics at the United Nations level. We, and we did a three-part series here on Hemp Barons uh, this summer with Kenzie uh, and Michael Kravitz on the single convention because the United States really needs to get uh, on board and, and be a united front there. Is there anything that I haven't asked you or something you want to make sure you've, you've given us so many lessons um, as, as you're so good at doing, but is there anything that I haven't asked you or that you want to make sure you tell the listeners before we part ways? Now, again, I want to give that advice and it's very, very important because uh, it, it hurts me a little bit to see uh, very good uh, intentions of, of setting up a hemp industry uh, went into failure uh, because of the missing infrastructure. And uh, I see uh, sometimes over the internet pictures and movies. Uh, it's really pioneering in the US. And uh, it's great you guys are doing that. It, it, it's a pity it took so long before you get your federal legislation. Uh, but anyway, it's there now. And, and I, I, I see a little bit what we did 26 years ago. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I see a, bit, a piece of kit and my colleagues say, oh, yeah, we tried that, didn't work. And you see people using that. You know they're going to make a failure with it. So and again, I really strongly recommend you do not plant hemp. If you do not have a customer, if you do not have a processing plant or a processing partner, and if you don't have a harvester in place, because those things you cannot send by DSL Express overnight. So they have to be on a ship and it takes time to ship to the US. And, we, and Europe is still far away. It's still far away. There's a whole ocean there between us. And, uh, and we want our farmers to have success. And we, uh, it starts with the farmers. They, are the, they yeah. are the kings and queens here. And we want them to have success and to continue to nurture uh, this incredible plant and deliver on its promise responsibly. Exactly that. Exactly that. Because you, you don't want to lose the farmers. And if, if too much disappointments, farmers are, are, are losing interest and going away from it. And then to restart the whole thing is very difficult. Now there's still enthusiasm. There is uh, uh, people want to do it. But uh, I, I hope really for 2021, there's a good solution for the farmers not losing money on hemp. 
but making money on hemp. Absolutely, and cooperatives, we really need to start implementing those uh, as well. Mark, your leadership, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your spirit. Uh, thank you for your generosity in, in sharing the knowledge and wisdom uh, that you've gained and, uh, and for the strong character um, that you show and just the, the shining example that you lead for, for everyone in this industry globally, brother. It's a real honor and pleasure to have you on the show and I can't wait to have you back. We are sending our highest vibrations to you across the pond. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.